1 Peter 2. Start there in verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you have come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Good. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you that, uh, yeah, Lord, you have given us your word. You have written it down for us as you spoke to your apostles. We thank you that we therefore have this absolutely clear and good uh, testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that your spirit speaks exactly the same word. And we pray that as we just spend some time reflecting on the enormity of what you've done for us, Lord, that indeed our hearts will be um, touched to enjoy trusting you again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been just dipping into 1 Peter just to get the year going. Um, and uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 is the one that we um, have used. That Peter is really writing this entire letter. It's all about grace. He wants to, us to know that there is grace, and he wants us to know the nature of grace. This is the true grace of God, and I want you to stand in it. So um, that's always a good Incredibly important thing for us as Christians is to stand, isn't it? Uh, I often find that amazing about Jesus Christ. Uh, he came into this world, and obviously the entire letter has Jesus as, as the reference point, and Peter does it more and more and more. Um, but what I find fascinating about Jesus is exactly that, is that he came into this world and he stood. He did not attack. Neither did he run. Now, those are our natural, what you call them? Fight or flight 
kind of reaction to difficulties and to things not being the way you expect them to be. And when you are surprised at times, when you are afraid, that's the kind of thing that happens to us, is that we either want to attack and take out the threat, or we run from the threat and we go away. And uh, fascinating, you often you find this word in the New Testament, stand. Stand in absolute certainty. Stand in absolute goodness. Stand and testify because that is what Christ has given you. His grace enables you to stand. I mean, that's what he says. He actually uses the words. But it's, I, don't, I don't know about you. I find that to be quite a challenge. I would much rather remove the threat or get away from the threat uh, myself. But to stand and to testify and to be good at it and to take it when you are abused, when you are suffering, as we, as we saw. Remember he says, for a little while. For a little while, you are going to face trials of many kinds. And there are the physical trials that I take at this part of life. But funny enough, when you start to get into Peter, although he says there are various trials, the ones that he's really highlighting for us is the trial of what it means to be a witness of Jesus Christ in this world. He doesn't really talk about the sufferings that we would talk about. When we talk about suffering, we're talking about hardships, we're talking about financial suffering, all of those things. Peter assumes that, but he spends most of his time actually dealing with what is it like when you are an alien and a stranger in your own land. You are not welcome here, and the people around you specifically are not making you welcome. And uh, as you read and as you look at the news and as you see what's going on in the world, that's increasingly happening, isn't it? There's a change in the mood of how people relate to one another. If you're not seeing things my way, then you are my enemy. And I'm going to, in today's kingdom, the most frightening thing that can happen to you today is you can get cancelled. <laughs> Block you on my social media. Uh, you get cancelled. You get ostracized. You get pushed out there, if you do not talk and have my mood and my approach to whatever it is that's on the table. And so I take it, even though Peter's not writing into that kind of a context exactly, he's writing into a context where these Christians, uh, the ex calls them foreigners and aliens. You are not, you don't belong here. This is not your home. And I take it that's a hard thing. How many of us don't want to live in a world where you feel at home? You want to it must be comfortable. It must be good. It must work. We all have this sense of, it isn't how it's supposed to be. And Peter says, the thing that you really need to be cemented in in order to live in the, in the variety of all of these issues is grace. You need to understand not only that grace is available, but you need to understand the nature of that grace so that you can stand and be this witness. So he says, I'm writing to you as a witness, and I'm encouraging you in this, and that's what we've been trying to do. So, How's it been going in the last two weeks? So when trials came around, you said, do you have the, the sequence of events? It's, oh, it's inevitable that you have that reaction. Because of grace, and grace opens, remember, the door for hope. Hope opens the door to trust. Because if somebody comes and they are favorably discharged to you and they want the best for you, then you have hope in that situation. And you think, I can trust this person. This person knows me and they see me and yet they engage with me and they open the door to me and they want the best for me. We'll come back to that just now. That gives you trust and that gives you, all of that together gives you joy. 
And so when hardships come, you know that the God that has given us Jesus Christ, who has decided that Christ would be the one before the foundation of the world, chose him for this. You say, ah, okay, Lord, I know that you have graced me and you are gracing me. And therefore, I have hope. Therefore, I can trust you in the midst of this and I can have joy. So I'm saying, okay, suffering is inevitable. Suffering is painful. Remember that? You're allowed to say it's painful. Hardships are painful. But they're temporal. They are of many kinds and they are necessary. Now, I failed when things that has happened come around. I haven't necessarily reacted with such clarity in that moment. And I take it that's because even though I know these things, I'm not standing in grace to the extent where I can have that as my reaction and then gather the people around me and say, hey, remember, this is the reality. This is now, for a little while, this is going to be like this. But because of Christ, we can stand together and we can encourage one another. And I hope that that's what we try to do in this, just these couple of talks this, this last week. So grace is magnificent. The grace of God in Christ Jesus is magnificent because it does that. But last week we saw it also changes us to say, now that I'm invited into this relationship with God, I want to be like him. I want to be as holy as he is holy. And he says to me, you will be holy because I am holy. He makes that as a promise. And he says, come. And so because I've redeemed you, come and keep on coming to me and keep on being changed. And the other one we looked at is that's inside of ourselves. So we're going to have a war inside of ourselves because we know that inside of us we are not holy like God. We're not completely devoted to God. We're not as morally good as he is. We've got all sorts of issues, so we keep on growing. Grace keeps on saying, come. This thing should not stop you from coming. When you realize this about yourself, because of my redemption through my son, who is this incredible gift to you, come. Come and deal with it. Come and acknowledge it. Bring it before me, and I will cleanse you. I will purify you. I will make you like me. And the other side, we saw as well, is that he makes us into people who love. We express holiness in love. And increasingly so. And that's really where we picked it up uh, today in chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the kind of the, the call now. After each one of these little sections, Peter gives you instruction and then he makes a call. He gives you instruction, makes a call. He, he's quite uh, uh, different in style from what we see in Paul. But yeah, he says, now that you have been given this new life, this enduring reality of love, that love and holiness will endure forever because God is holy and is love and he endures forever. And everything that is informed and shaped and touched by him starts to have that as its reality. Holiness and love. Those are the two major issues that Peter picks up. There are others as well. But here he comes and he says, Therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So all those kinds of things makes it difficult for us to be together. It's difficult for us to love one another. And he says, get rid of those things. So he assumes it's still there. So you may find Christians do have malice still. Obviously not you. I mean other Christians. Malice. Those are still realities as part of our beings. We We have got malice. We've got evil intent inside us. We sometimes want others to, you know, just to taste a little bit of... 
I hope they get what they deserve. Just a little bit. I mean, not much. Just a little bit. Deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Talk badly about people. You, you, you ever talk badly about anybody? Slander of every kind. I'm not sure how many kinds there are. But you see what he's saying is, Peter's so real, he says, grace will confront you to become aware of all of these subtle little things inside you that is still operational and that pops out. You sometimes can't believe that you've just thought and said that, you know. But you do. And he says, yeah. But because of this immense grace that God has given you, you can come to him and bring it to him and deal with it. Lay it out there and change so that's really what he's trying to do. He's trying to work this thing. So on the inside, we've got temptations to live out by ourselves. On the other side, we've got pressure from the context in which we live. And he's going to go into, starting to move over more and more and more over into the context of that your society is going to reject you because you have chosen Jesus to be your foundation. That's really where he's going. See, that's where we're going to go. All right, you've got it? So in one sense, you've heard this all before, haven't you? There's nothing really new, and yet it is so vital that we come together again and learn to do this together and stand next to one another, just like Peter's doing. He's saying, I've come, and I'm coming next to you, and I'm encouraging you, and I'm testifying. This is the true grace of God. Stand in it. And so, yeah, he tells us. So he, Peter mixes his metaphors and his kind of ways of teaching. So now he first tells us, be like newborn baby. So we were like little children. So next week maybe we should have a newborn baby uh, song. Be like little babies, he says, newborn babies who crave pure spiritual milk. Crave. Have you ever tried to give a baby of about a week a piece of steak? They won't. They'll probably cry more. Crave what is absolutely of sustenance, is what he's saying. So normally when the Bible says you are babies, it speaks it in the negative. It's a kind of a, a slight, you should be grown up by now, but you're still babies. You still crave milk. That's Paul's thing. Peter flips it the other way around. He took the goodness of a baby who knows the difference between anything else that he eats and milk, and he craves that. He says, crave it. There's one thing you're allowed to crave is what he calls here pure spiritual milk. So what is that? What is the pure spiritual milk that you have to create? Well, he tells us in a hint, and then he goes on in the next section and helps us to see that. He says, so that you may grow up in your salvation, so that you may become mature. That's really what he's saying. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So you have tasted the goodness of the Lord in Jesus Christ, and he says, now crave him. Crave to drink him. Crave to be filled with him. That's the way in which you fight these things. You've got to stop certain things, and you've got to start to crave this pure spiritual milk, which I take it in the context goes over into verse 4 and to the next section. It says, as you come to him, the living stones. So now suddenly you've got to crave pure spiritual milk, and now suddenly he talks about stones and living stones. And he says, well, that is the foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the Christian life. This has been predicted and been promised by God, and he goes into a whole bunch of Old Testament quotes from Isaiah and Psalm 118 to make the point. He says, there's a foundation, and we all know this, that you can't build higher than what the foundation will allow. The value and the goodness and the solidity of the foundation determines the house that can be built upon it. And therefore he says, if you want to have life, 
you need to build on a living stone. Living stone is Jesus. We had living hope, remember, right up front? Grace gives you living hope. Now he talks about a living stone, and then he says, as you come to him, you become a living stone, and you start to grow and change. So there's the wonderful thing, that Jesus is the one that we've been singing. We've been declaring it the whole morning. There is nowhere else to go but to him. Because he gives us the certain foundation, the solidness of God's mercy. And we're going to come back to the end of this little section. He comes back to that. That's where we start always with him. He's the living stone. He is the one that is chosen and precious to God. But rejected by humans. Now that word rejected is not just, oh, you know, I don't care about Jesus. That word is saying, I've investigated and I've found to be wanting. It's exactly what happened when Jesus came. The leaders of Israel investigated Jesus. They looked at him. They listened to him. They asked questions about him. But because he didn't fit their understanding of what would be a solid foundation for the nation of Israel, they rejected him. And that's, in one sense, good and bad, isn't it? It's important for us, though, that we will help people, ourselves, to come to Christ, to investigate if he's worth building my entire existence on. Is he? And secondly, I need to make sure that I bring everybody else also to him so that they will bump into him and see if he is the foundation for them, not me. Although I am part of this, and this is where it's getting, I mean, this is where the responsibility grows, isn't it? People look at us and they decide whether Jesus is worth following. Did you know that? <laughs> now, ultimately, I guess that's not a legitimate, <laughs> legitimate position to take. But the scripture seems to hold that out. That that is indeed God's design. That when they look at us, they will conclude something about him. So there is our responsibility again. So you've got this gracious weird, isn't it? Grace is this unbelievable freedom and openness and new life and new hope and living hope. And on the other hand, there's this, uh, there's this responsibility that, oops, People will look at me and they will conclude what God is like by the way I conduct myself. So just go to the end of that little section. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There it is. There's a great invitation. So grace is, is powerful. Grace is good. And grace is kind of scary. We've seen that. Grace brings about a certain fear that will I live a life that will not make people stumble over the grace that is in Christ Jesus available because of how I react to life when they come at me. And that's really what he's talking about. When they reject you, when they frown upon you, when they think you're crazy. And in those days, everything was connected to worship. So for us, it's a little bit different today. We don't have exactly the same thing. But you couldn't do anything there those days without sacrificing to something or being involved in some cult or something. And if you said, no, I'm not going to do that, they thought you were being funny and weird because you're not living by the standards of the culture. And he said, well, they may accuse you of doing wrong, but you have to show them that one day when God comes, they will say, oh, I've seen that before. So some of people may hear before God comes, some will only see it when God comes. Our responsibility is therefore, and therefore he says, come as you come to the stone. So how do we change? Well, in one sense, part of what we do is we get together like this and we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, he is the foundation. We reaffirm that. 
and we climb on it. And we measure ourselves by the cornerstone. Do I measure up? Do I, am I bent where the stone is straight? Or am I supposed to be a bit bent where you know, I'm too straight? Am I less gracious than Jesus? Well, then I need to bend to become gracious. Am I too lenient more than Jesus? Then I've got to bend back and come in line. You see, there's all sorts of angles that God is working. Because it's a living thing. It's not a dead thing. It doesn't think that just lies there. It keeps on growing. So as we grow, we'll find that, oh, I've overcompensated. Or I've undercompensated. As I try and figure out, how do I build on this person who is a living stone? He's alive. And he wants me to be a living witness to him in real relationships, which are often complicated, isn't it? I mean, how difficult is it to know exactly how to go about witnessing to people? And he says, well... Make sure you come and measure yourself, line yourself up on this cornerstone that God has given. But this passage really almost highlights the negative, isn't it? So in one sense is the positive, the first couple of verses, verse 4 to uh, 5. And then he picks up again the positive in verses 9 to 10. But in between, he talks about this reality. This reality that God has established the cornerstone and for a number of people will stumble over him. It's predicted that not everyone that hears your testimony about Jesus Christ will accept it. It is predicted that not everyone who looks at Jesus and evaluates him will come to the same conclusion as you and me. They have done it and they will continue to do it. They will stumble over him and they will fall. And that's quite a scary thing, isn't it? A sad thing. Sad reality. But it's good for us because when it happens, we shouldn't think we've made, done something wrong. If our testimony is in line with Jesus Christ and people reject him, then we have to live with it. Which is hard, isn't it? An extremely hard reality that the scriptures hold out for us. God says, I'm going to lay a foundation stone, Jesus Christ. Some will accept it. And when they do, they will never be put to shame. There's the promise. He will make sure you will have life and have life eternal and good forever. But the stone that the bull has rejected, now that's the cornerstone. And, he says, the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And that's scary, isn't it? That's a frightening reality. And then he goes on, he says, they stumble because they disobey the message. They do not believe this message, which is also what they were destined for. So when you don't believe it, you are destined to fall. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you have no living foundation. You can't build upon him. You will not be able. The thing will shake. So different scriptures uses different analogies. God is going to shake the, the world again. And anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And only the thing that can't be shaken is Jesus. And everything built on Jesus won't be shaken. Everything else will be shaken. And it will stumble. And it will fall. And so fascinating Language. Grace enables us to live in that reality, that cold face where you see people, they look in your face and they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace will enable you to stand, to keep on holding out grace to them and telling them the realities of what they are doing without feeling in any way superior. Yeah, that's a difficult one, isn't it? 
The fact that you are building on Christ is because of mercy. And we're going to go back to that just now. I can never say, oh, I am so better, much better than you are. But I can stand and hold it out to you and hold out to you the reality that if you don't build on this person, inevitably stumbling and falling is going to happen. And say both of those things with them without feeling superior in any way. Because I'm building on Jesus Christ who is God's grace and God's mercy towards us. See how fascinating grace is. Grace is really a multidimensional reality. Because Christ is a multidimensional person. He's a being that actually helps us to see this is what you've got to do. So he's preparing them to say, don't be surprised. He's going to tell them later in chapter 4. Don't be surprised that you are in this fiery ordeal where people are coming at you, people are gunning for you, where people are angry with you, where people are accusing you falsely, where people are abusing you. He says, it's going to happen. But don't be surprised by it because this is the reality. The reality is, is that many people stumble over Jesus and they stumble over those who are associated with Jesus, the little stones, the little living stones that are being changed. They will stumble over you, and you will often get the brunt of their hatred. And so he's trying to set people up and say, this is the important thing for you to remember. This is reality. And then in verses 9 and 10, he kind of drives home the importance of our new identity in Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Incredible language, isn't it? You're going to take the entire Old Testament to understand those words. God has chosen you as his people. So you are scattered. Remember, he starts out the letter to those scattered. So the one thing that Christians often feel is that we are very small and insignificant because there's little pockets of us all over the place. I mean, what is it 8 billion people? How many people are there in the world today? 8 billion? About 1.4 claims some sort of belief in Jesus Christ. The eighth on average. Little pockets of Christians all over the place. You don't feel like a people. You don't feel like a nation. You don't feel like, hey, we've got a a place and a space where we can be. He says, but that is what you are in God. You've got to recognize your new identity. I am a chosen people. A royal priesthood. Kingly, royal, as well as a priesthood. Fascinating, isn't it? I'm here. I'm not just a priest. I'm a royal priest. I'm here to represent Jesus Christ to the world. And at the very same time, invite them by being gracious to them so that they may join the family. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm declaring the royal standard of God. And I'm declaring the forgiveness and the hope and the mercy and all the things that we've been talking about at the same time. So, I mean, I know that's not what we mean by it, but it says you often speak out of both ends of your mouth. Now, as Christians, you should be. You should be speaking grace and truth at the same time. Out of this side of your mouth, grace, out of that side of your mouth, truth. That's what we are. We are a royal priesthood to speak, to hold out the truth about God, and at the very same time, hold out the hope of forgiveness, life, to those very people who are rejecting and attacking, and minimizing, and writing us off. To be like Christ, to stand. Not to attack, to warn. Not to run away, to be gracious. 
Fascinating, isn't it? One day when I grow up, I'm going to be like that. That's the promise, yeah? A holy nation, so set apart. We are a group of people who have been set apart for God. God's special possession. Christ is God's precious. He actually uses the language. When you are in Christ, you become his precious. I couldn't help but uh, think of uh, Ingrid, who called her mum precious, as she said on Wednesday. Praise. You are God's precious. Immortalized preciousness comes through the movie with that ugly hoha in it, Gollum, with the ring. My precious. I mean, that's just immortalized. If you haven't seen it, go and get an education. All right? You're going to have to watch it. God does that as Gollum is besotted with that ring in one sense. That's why God is about us. You are his precious. Because you have come to believe in the one who deserves the preciousness because of who he is for you. We've become precious because Jesus, who is the precious, paid the price for us. That's what he's really trying to say. We've got to keep on reminding one another of that. We've got to keep on telling one another, hey, do you know who you are? Do you know how precious you are to God in Christ Jesus? Do you know how holy you are to God in Christ Jesus? Do you know that you are a royal priesthood in Christ Jesus? Do you know that you are a chosen people? Do you know that? Do you remember that? Because we forget that, isn't it? Life has got a way of just knocking us sideways, and I revert back to type. And so the scriptures tells us, yeah, you will have that. You will have that temptation. You will have that trial inside yourself all the time. The grace of God is able to give you the ability to bring it out and to lay it at his feet. And he will forgive you. And there he comes in verse, um, uh, so here's the purpose then. Knowing who you are, it says that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. To declare the wonder, how is it possible that God could take someone like me and save me? What kind of a God could do that? I want to declare the praises of this God to you. I want to tell you that there is no one that is not able to be saved by this God that's how great he is. His praises, his goodness, which the word there uh, talks about, he, uh, declare, uh, the praises of him who called you, that word praises is a, is, is a difficult word to translate. It's a word that says it is his goodness that affects goodness for anything else that comes into contact with it. Massive word. I want to declare to you that when you bump into God, the real God, goodness will come to you. Grace will come to you. Hope will come to you. Trust will come to you. Joy will come to you. Perseverance will come to you. So that there will be more joy, more hope, more love. A desire for holiness and a desire to love others. That's what will happen to you if you bump into this God. Don't you want to declare that? Don't you want to declare him? So we're not declaring ourselves, but we are the vessels through whom he's doing it. And see how what he's saying? It's so magnificent that he's trying to encourage us to say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to remember this. Because you get to declare the praises of this God to a world that is so broken, so sinful, so confused, 
hold it out to them. Hold him out to them. And then here comes the foundation again. He says, because this is what happened. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's the foundation again. They move all the way back to where he starts in the beginning of the, of, the, of the letter. That mercy, that grace of God, that covenant forgiveness that brings you into relationship with him, that is given. That is the grounds on which we come before him. That's what we get onto every time. I get onto Jesus because I get onto grace and mercy. And that starts to shape us into the image of the one who has saved us because that's what he's, where he's going. You are going to be holy because I'm holy. And therefore, the call comes again in verses 11 and 12. Have the inward fight with yourself. Overcome yourself by Jesus Christ. And the others have the outward pressure that comes to you. Don't get conformed to that either. Because grace enables you to fight both worlds. The inward world as well as the outward world. Go for it. Because that is what God has called you to and he forgives you. When you come and you admit. Isn't that magnificent? This, this is just so difficult to... How do you put all of this into... We need to tell one another often, isn't it? We need to often remind one another of these very basic things that we know. And so in this year, help, let us help one another to testify to the true grace of God so that we may stand no matter what comes even if it, for a little while we have to suffer trials of many kinds and increasingly social rejection by our culture. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in one sense this is so huge, this is so big, this is so fantastic that it's hard for us to clamp down and fully understand it. But we thank you that we get to do it today again. Thank you that we have your word. Thank you that we have your spirit. Thank you that we have one another. Won't you help us, Lord, to keep on growing in our understanding of the true nature of your grace. To see how intricately it is able to take hold of us and forgive us and transform us and equip us so that we may stand and hold out to a world the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to him. So thank you that we could come to you, Lord Jesus, this morning. Thank you that we could align ourselves on you as our foundation again. Thank you that you're a living foundation, and thank you that we are living and we are growing. And we pray that you will make us aware of where we need to change and where we need to fight and where we need to be gracious. Lord, we ask that you would continue to do your great work of mercy through your Son, in and through us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.